Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Invite up Pastor Lauren. Right, yeah. <clears throat> thanks, Serana. Beautiful. And thanks, Melody, as well. What a great worship set we had. I always find that the, um, when, when somebody has lived a certain song, it has so much more power. And uh, many of those songs our worship team has lived. So, um, so I forgot my watch this morning, which means <clears throat> I don't know how long we're going to go. Not quite. Next week's family reunion. The, 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 the first service family and the second service family get to join together at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, we, have a, we typically put together themes <clears throat> excuse me, and try to direct, um, put certain things in place through the year and we have a theme. And I think it's important to have a plan. A plan is an important thing to have. I'm going to deviate from the plan this morning. It's how... The, it's how, the, it's how um, Remember when they took, when, when they were, well, that doesn't matter. I'm just deviating from the plan. I'm calling, uh, I'm calling my, um, my uh, message this morning because uh, I think this is a word for our church. It's clearly a word for our family, and maybe it's a word for you personally. I'm entitled the message, Restoring Inheritance. <clears throat> Essentially, the message is this, is getting back what the enemy stole. Anybody remember that song? Went to the enemy's camp. You know that one? And I. That one, that one, yeah, yeah. I think that's where they got the song from. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to read the, um, the first nine verses of 1 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 30. And, um, and I'm going to then ask you, if you've got your Bibles, uh, to not read ahead. If you're ever giving a presentation and there's six or eight pages, you want people just to stay on the page they're on, right? You don't, don't look ahead. <clears throat> I want you to feel something of what David felt before we read the end of the story. When, often when we get it, there's tension in a biblical narrative and you want to, let's just read the end of the chapter. And uh, most times in life, things aren't sorted out like a television sitcom where everything all comes together by the last scene and just before the credits and everything is just beautiful and peaceful and happily ever after. Um, it does turn out not bad, <clears throat> but I don't want you to read ahead. Uh, here, here's our a clear conviction. I love the Word of God. <clears throat> I feel that every word, every <clears throat> jot and every tittle is inspired. Every, and, and, and everything that's included in Scripture Every nuance and verb and tense and number has significance. And so I read the Bible fast, and then I read it slow. And then I go back and chew through it, and it's usually when I go back that the Lord brings things out for me. And so reading through this about three weeks ago, I just got so much out of it the second and third time, and I've been studying it this week, and I know it's going to be a blessing for you. So I want you to take your Bibles. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 30. <clears throat> and I'm going to read the first uh, nine verses. Three days later, this is such an important number. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev 
and had burned Ziglag to the ground. <clears throat> they carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Such an important line. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoan of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in serious trouble because his men were very bitter about losing their wives and children, and they began to talk of stoning him. <clears throat> but David found strength in the Lord his God. And then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought, brought it, and then David asked the Lord, should I chase them, and will I catch them? Such interesting questions. Um, and the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they soon came to the Besor Brook. Lord, I thank you for your word that it's powerful. It has energy to produce a specific result today. And it'll bring that about in the mighty name of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> when I read about the life of David, I try to read the Psalms as well. Because somewhere in David's life, and I don't think it always happens specifically um, as, as the psalmist, they would say, this happened at this time. But these songs and these words were in David's heart all along, and they were just brewing. And, um, and I think that many times, even though they're recorded in a certain way, David at different times would, would recall his certain encounters with enemies, and then he would remind himself of the nature and the person and the character of God for him. And so in his, in his mature years, about Psalm 32, he, he said he heard the Lord say that I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or the mule. It's interesting. At what point could any of us be like the horse or the mule? <clears throat> but he's, he, he had learned that the Lord would instruct him in the way he could go. Many of us face circumstances, maybe not quite like David, where our, the people that we lead want to stone us um, in a physical sense. Um, so maybe we don't face that. But here's what I personally think about how the Lord does guide us and he does lead us, and he's always trying to communicate to us. Every one of you here have heard the voice of God. Uh, not always do we recognize it, but he's constantly speaking. And most of the time it's a, more of a sense or an intuition or a prompt or a, some quiet nudging. But it's always in line with the word of God. He never contradicts his word. Um, <clears throat> Jesus teaches us some amazing things about how to have a great life. And I think one of the great skills of studying scripture is learning how to read the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Because they're quite different. <clears throat> when, when Paul would say that all Scripture is given for inspiration and instruction, <clears throat> the New Testament had not been written yet. He's referring to the Old Testament. When, when the Hebrew writer would say that the Word of God is powerful, he's referring to the Old Testament. <clears throat> so... We need to be students that understand how we translate the Old Testament into New Testament times. There's some things that David said that wouldn't apply to us today. 
When he would say, Lord, don't take your spirit from me, that wouldn't apply to us today. It wouldn't apply to me. <laughs> My conviction is he's put his spirit within me. He's not taking it from me. He would say about Elijah that he, Elisha would ask Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. When you and I got saved, we got a full portion of his spirit. Now, I understand that there's nuances and sometimes that there can be double portions, but not double portions of his spirit because you got the full portion, a double, triple, a quad shot of his spirit when, he, when you invited him into your life. I'm just saying, translating those are tricky. He shows us how to live. He shows secrets. Of, he showed, Jesus shows us secrets of life, laws of life, laws of the universe to help us. And when we violate a law, it doesn't go well with us. We waste the air of our prayer when we ask God to change things that are unchangeable. It's important that you consider that, perhaps even make a note of that. He, he, there's many things that God can't do. <clears throat> One of them is he can't lie. And so when he says something, it is so. And he's put in motion specific laws. And it's our detriment if we choose to violate those laws. You understand the law of gravity, you can try to fight against that if you wish. You won't win. Now there are laws of lift and thermodynamics that you can actually learn to cooperate with those laws. But one law that we should always be aware of, a universal law, by that it means it doesn't take faith for this law to work. It doesn't take faith for gravity to work, am I right? It just works. It's how the, law, it's how the world was made. One of the big components of faith is realizing that God created everything and he made you and I in his image. If you don't get that, you won't understand how the scriptures work for us. And so... <clears throat> I cringe many times when people quote Romans 8.28 because it so easily can be shared out of context. When a difficult situation happens, well, don't worry, all things work together. But you, don't, you need to finish that statement. For those. Not everyone, for those. It's for those. Okay, who are those? Well, those that are functioning within their purpose and within their calling according to God's plan for their life. Not everything works together for good if we choose to disobey the Lord's direct commands. So, okay. <clears throat> it works for those. Um, the, 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 the other issue I find is what I would call the Christian malaise, where we just say very quickly, well, God is in control. But, it, but that's not how, what Scripture says. He says that he's released that control to you and I. Yeah, he's in charge overall, and it's all going to work out, but... It, well, 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 the Lord's just going to make it all happen. The Lord's going to do... No, no, he needs you and I to partner with him to make something happen. <clears throat> when God moves on the earth, he moves through people on the earth. <laughs> he moves through people who will be obedient to his fulfill his purpose on the earth, and when he does, he works all things together for good, for those. Okay. It's good. Sometimes just the, the, the most dangerous thing, <clears throat> excuse me, on earth is not a lie. It's a half-truth. Because you're not sure which half. That's dangerous. 
And the danger of you and I of taking a, a portion of Scripture outside of a context of Scripture and within the whole counsel and character and revelation of God is dangerous. The words, Bible says that it's sharp. <laughs> Be careful with sharp objects. We, we remove them from our grandchildren. They're for the mature. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, so God is a, liber, a liberator. And... and um, there's times when we want to ask him to spare us from our bad choices. <laughs> we want to sow wild oats and then pray for crop failure. Do, do you understand? I'm trying to get a point across before I talk about David. <clears throat> um, we, we want him to be an oppressor, not a liberator. By that I mean, what does an oppressor do? An oppressor takes away a ch your choice by force. That's, what, that's how we end up being oppressed. We lose our choice. It's the most sacred thing about you and I. God gives you a choice. So we want God, we want to act foolishly, and we want to make bad choices, and we want to make sinful choices, and then we want God to remove the consequence of those choice. Does anybody pray that way? He's not an oppressor. He's a liberator, and he's given you free choice. Use it wisely. If you use your freedom for dysfunctional behavior, life will not go well with you. Okay. A couple amens. The point is, in order to have a great harvest, there needs to be great partnership and great input. We harvest or we produce what we plant. And we have harvest from the things that we water and the things that we weed. You're planting a garden. Your life is a garden. One of the greatest truths that Jesus consistently shared, I think it's in just about every parable, just about. And that's the point of personal responsibility, that you and I are personally responsible for our choices and our decisions and our actions and our attitudes. It's all through Scripture. It's such an interesting thing, even when it comes to the blind person, what, what do you want? Isn't it obvious? He gave them free choice. Because for many of us, instead of saying, instead, what do you want? We, we may have said, oh, you know, we're blind. Ah, uh, seeing eye dog, a cane. But he, see, God always wants something better for us than we want for ourselves. But sometimes we're a little nervous about asking him for big things in order to protect his reputation. <laughs> so I think it's okay to ask big things. I think it's okay to go and get back what the enemy steals. I think that's okay. <clears throat> I feel a breakthrough is coming. Let me give you a brief history of what happens here if you read chapter 27, 28, 29 of 1 Samuel. I love 1 Samuel. In the Old Testament, they use the word Lord of hosts. The first time it's used is in 1 Samuel. You could, and it could be referred to another, another way of terming this. It's Jehovah Sabaoth. It means the Lord of the armies. Some of you are not sure whether we're in a warfare or not. Let me reassure you, we're very much in warfare. <laughs> we are in a battle. <laughs> let, me, let me reassure you of that, remind you of that. And, uh, and, but, but we serve Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of the armies. <clears throat> the biggest battle that we ever fight, the biggest battle that I've ever fought has not been an external enemy. Your biggest battle that you fight will not be something out there. It's always something in here. The only, way, the only way that the enemy can be big is if you make him big. 
Because he's only, he's only as big as you perceive him to be. He can only work with what you give him. And he functions using the information that you give him. And if you look at him and think that he's all big and scary like Hollywood portrays, then you're going to be nervous and anxious about the devil. You have an enemy. But he's not as powerful as you think or as we act. When we have a situational situation, that problem is not our problem. Our problem is our perspective of that problem. When you face a circumstance, what you're doing is you're facing yourself. How you see yourself, how you see your God. Is he the Lord that's commanding the armies? The Lord of hosts. Because when we come into a circumstance that we're not sure how to function in, you need to begin to rejoice because worship is not an option at those opportunities. Worship isn't an option because he's about to reveal to you something that you didn't know about him before. If you don't know him as the Lord of hosts, the one who only leads you into triumph and victory, perhaps in your current circumstance, you're about to find out who he is. Because he's revealing himself to David right here. David's ascension to the throne was not easy. For Samuel shows David's bumpy ascension to the throne. Uh, the book before First uh, Samuel was Ruth. The last word in the book of Ruth David. So the first situation in 2 Samuel, David ascends the throne. The last event that takes place in David's life, his last event in the wilderness, is what we just read. But I didn't want you to read ahead, and of course you didn't because you're obedient. Of course. David, it says in Acts that he served his generation. I love that. I'd not love to have that said about me, that he served, that I served my generation. Chapter 28, just before chapter 29. Chapter 28, Saul is consulting with a witch. Chapter uh, 27 and 26, David has been running as a fugitive. And he's been deceiving the king, Akshish. It's interesting to me that it says, he said of, uh, the king would say of David, he's like an angel. No, I trust no one more than him, but yet David consistently deceived him. On the other hand, you see a Saul who did not trust him, and David was absolutely true to him. It's an interesting paradox of this story. Because David does, he's given, he's, he's on the run, he's got a couple of wives with him and 600 warriors, and, um, and he's on the run, he's being pursued, and he, he's probably, and this, this is where I think many of the Psalms were written, and he's probably wondering, God, are you ever, you, I'm anointed king. Is it ever going to happen? I'm meeting all these other challenges. Is it, are you ever going to come through? He's meeting battle after battle after battle. And finally, he said, he just about is ready to run from Israel, I think. And Axius gives him a city called Ziklag. And what he does from Ziklag is he runs these little raiding. He goes and plunders. And it's, it's interesting to note, if you read chapter 26 and 27 this afternoon before your happy hour, if you do that, <laughs> your nap, um, if, you, if you read that, you'll find out that when he went into those towns, he killed everybody. So there was nobody left. And it says there's nobody left to tell what really took place. And then he'd bring back, he was so diplomatic, and then he'd bring back presents for the king. He was kind of a rascal. Kind of. But I want you to notice the specific instances here that w of what takes place. Um, I, want, I want to just get right to that right away. Uh, a couple of things to note about this, these first nine verses um, is how profoundly protected David's inheritance is. 
when you go into, when you're, when you're, I don't know much about plundering and looting, not too much. Well, a little bit, but. So he, so, but they go, and what they do is they didn't touch any of the women and children. Uh, maybe you saw that when you read that. You should read the Bible slowly. It says that um, they got, when they got back, they had carried off the women and children, everybody else, verse 2, but without killing anyone. That was very uncommon. Your inheritance is being protected right now by Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies. Your inheritance is being protected. The things that the enemy has taken from you, you need to rise up with the word of the Lord and go back and get them. He's not going to bring them back for you. He needs you to rise up and go get them. All right. So he doesn't say, it's very interesting to me, is he, they, nothing is touched. Uh, he's facing incredibly discouraging circumstances. And what does he need at that time? What does he need? Does he need the Lord just to send you know, them back by airmail? Maybe, but he's actually discovering something about who God is. It's a pattern of, from, from New Testament life. Um, and it's about, once, once we partner with the Lord, here's what, here, in Christ, you want to know what you and I are in Christ? We're overcomers, am I right? When we function according to our nature in Christ, we function with an overcoming nature. We don't, we don't have a lack mentality. We have a victorious mentality. We have a, it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to win. We have an overcoming Attitude, when we're functioning outside the, the, the revelation of it being in Christ, we say, oh gosh, what's going to happen now? Oh no, we're never going to make it. Let me just get into the story. He, the boys have been, it's three days, something, so, so the Philistine uh, commanders, they say, we don't trust David, send him home. It's three days, apparently it's a three days, just do the math here with me. Apparently it's a three days trip. Because it starts by saying in chapter, or verse 1, chapter 30, three days later. So it takes them three days to get back. What happened at the moment that it looked like he got turned away from doing something he loved to do? What was taking place? At the very moment, three days earlier, at that very moment, when it looked like, oh no, what's going on? The, the Philistine army, this is just an amazing thing when, they end, when the Lord uses the enemy on your behalf. He say, and he says, no, you better get home. It's going to take you three days. And those three days while he's gone, those three days, his, his family and the city of Ziklag is being looted and pillaged. But the Lord is protecting everything. I don't know if you've seen that as amazing. I saw that as amazing. We need strength for a battle and supernatural strength for supernatural battles. But here's what the interesting thing. David's in a tough spot. He, he's never felt more alone. Well, what's taking place here? Here's what's taking place. He's going from good to great. Greatness is not, it's, it's not defined when everybody's cheering for you. It's defined when nobody's with you and only one that's with you is God. That's a moment of greatness because the king is about to do something very kingly. When you're a leader and you're leading people, you don't have the privilege of feeling sorry for yourself. You don't, have the you don't have the privilege of blaming like all the others did. Ah, David, it's your fault. You don't have that privilege. If you're leading your home, you don't get to sulk about what's happening. You get to rise up and encourage yourself in the Lord. He it says that he found strength in the Lord. I find this fascinating. 
Now he, and then after he found strength in the Lord, then he inquired of the Lord. So he found strength outside of hearing from God. I don't know your circumstance. But here's what happens, I think, when we find, when we find strength in the Lord. The anger always has to have an outlet. It always has to have a focus. But anger is a covering emotion. It's covering something else that's brewing underneath. So, he, so, so he's not going to be angry. He's going to be honest. And rather than lash back at those that are lashing out at him, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to look to my circumstance. I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm talking about people who are in circumstances right now that are confusing for them. So what does he do? It says, it says, it says in Romans chapter 8 that a mind set against God is hostile. So here's what he had to do. Here's what he needed to do. And here's what you and I need to do. When you're faced with a situation that seems impossible, you don't let your head do the talking. It'll talk you out of it. You have to go straight to your heart. And you have to ask yourself kind of two questions. And it's probably what Dave asked at that time. I think the questions were something like this. What's God like for me? And what has he said to me? Because it says that he, and he, he, didn't, he hasn't now, he hasn't heard from the Lord. He's got to go on what was his previous experience with the Lord. And it says that was enough to find enough strength to ask him this question. Okay, I'm ready to go. I know who you are. You're the Lord of hosts. You're the one that leads me into triumph. You're not the one that leaves me out in the battlefield all scarred and maimed. You're the one that finishes what he starts in me. That's who you are. He said, I know who you are. Okay, so Lord, because that's who you are and you're the one who talks to me, I'm, I'm going to consider your provision now in this moment and I'm going to remember your promise in this moment. That's what I'm going to do. And so he takes the provision of the Lord and the promise of God. I love Psalm 138. It says, I called to the Lord. He answered. He made me bold and stout-hearted. How many of you have wanted to be bold and stout-hearted before you called on the Lord? But what happens when we call on the Lord? He... he in his presence, we find confidence. In his presence, we find provision. In his presence, we find permission. And in his presence, we find his promise. And once he reveals that to us, our confidence rises up. And he says, okay, God, he doesn't know what's happening with the Amalekites. And he asks the Lord, should I chase them and will I catch them? He doesn't have a clue. He, we haven't read the end of the chapter yet. He's, all he knows is he's got enough strength to run through a troop and leap over a wall. That's what he knows. He says, I've got strength now, but I need more than strength. I actually need direction. <laughs> Feeling strong is not good enough. You have to have a place to channel the strength. And he says, okay, should I chase them? He's ready to go. They're tired. They, these guys have been, they've been warring. They've been traveling three days. They're planning on coming home, putting up their feet, putting some popcorn on, watching the game. But they get home and they're so mad that they says they weep, well, they're so, they were so upset, they wept until they could weep no more. Okay, he found strength in the Lord. Um, um, he goes from good to great. He goes from good to great. The, inner, the work of the inner man. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. I'm not sure what you're facing. But these followers are a little bit fickle. In a, in a, in a minute, you'll find that he actually goes, he takes back all of, the, all of the stuff that was stolen from him, and they call that David's reward. Because the followers are a little fickle. One moment, they want to stone you. Have you ever been there? And the next minute, they would say, oh, you're so awesome. You ever been there? 
Hey, listen, I mean, it was the crowd. The crowd, I mean, don't, Jesus loved the crowds, but it was the crowd that crucified him. See, there's some, these guys have warred with him. David was feeling alone. Gosh, I, there's, there's been a few weeks this, this year that's been devastating for me. None of you know that battle. Well, some of you might, but that's not the point. The point is you're all facing battles. And in battles, we often feel alone. And in, in a battle, there's often something that gets challenged or something that gets taken. For him, it was his future. It was his inheritance. It was his family, and it was his home and his things. The worst sense of violation is when someone breaks into your house and steals something. Well, here's what I have to say. The Bible says once the enemy is uh, uncovered and determined, he needs to pay back seven times of what he took. Is anybody up for getting seven times back what was stolen from you? Here's what it says. It says he went in and he took, and, and wouldn't you know it, because we want the Lord's provision before we set out. He started moving. He went 16 miles to the brook Basor. And I would have been very discouraged if I had one-third of my army drop out. There were 600 men left. 200 says, we're too tired. Sorry, buddy. How would you feel? Didn't bother him because it wasn't the number of men who was going to win the battle. It was the promise that he had in his heart about the battle. And he was already a winner before he left. Should I chase them? Will I catch them? He didn't know how far he was going to have to go. But as he started out, it says there was an Egyptian who'd been there for three days. Three days. Circle three days. I just think that's incredible. But your provision is not available, and you usually don't find your provision until you start along the way. He started walking, and what did he need? He needed to know some direction. He's just walking. So what did the Lord provide for him? An almost dead Egyptian. <laughs> he's, not, he's three days without food, without water. Why, why, is that, why, why does David need an Egyptian? He needs military intelligence. He needs to know what to do. Well, wouldn't you know it? The provision was already laid out on him. Your inheritance is not automatic. If you're just waiting for your inheritance to come to you, I'm just saying spiritually, maybe, you're, maybe your dad, when he, you know, your grandpa might flow your way, but I'm saying spiritual inheritance, you have to go after it. You've got to pursue it. The work, of your, the, 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 the work of the business of faith is pursuit. What are you pursuing? Are you just letting stuff get stolen and taken? This refers to emotions. Have you lost some joy? Time to go back and get that. He didn't just get back his stuff. It says he took everything. And the Amalekites have been raiding for days. This is a wonderful, this is a beautiful thing to see about the, the heart, uh, the heart of, of David. And then, and then he says this, and we're going to close with this. Um, perhaps. It says, as you read down further, it says that there's only, there's 400 guys escaped on camels. The same amount of people that were charging. It says they fought for 18 hours straight. Fascinating. But verse 19, nothing was missing, small or great. (laughs) Son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. Are all your kids serving God? Are all your grandchildren serving God? That's part of the inheritance. We're a family of faith. We don't just let our kids go. And we don't just give up on them. We go after them. We don't just let stuff get taken from us. Why? Because the Lord of the hosts of heaven is on our side. It requires my participation and my agreement to get back what he's stolen. I don't know what he's stolen for you. 
He stole confidence from me many times. He stole joy from me. He stole peace from me. But when I get back in the presence of God, I see that not only is he provided for me, but he says, I've got mercy for you every morning. And joy will come every morning. The Lord's not happy when things get stolen from us, but it requires your initiative to rise up. Nothing was missing. I love how we said that. Not, not son, not, nothing small, nothing great. There's one that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Not everything works together for good. It works for good of those who are called according to his purpose, who are functioning in that purpose and are following hard and pursuing the purpose of God. Our inheritance is secure, but in Christ. But we might need to fight for it. I love David's heart. Only one that said he's a man after God's heart. What and who is David pursuing? Just, you, you, you read the rest of it. You should read ahead. You read the rest of it. And you'll find out once David got everything back, they came back to the Resor Creek Brook, met the 200 men who'd been too tired to go with them. I love this. David greeted them joyfully. He didn't say, you, you bums. You, you, like, you cowards. Why did you bail on me I need, when I really, really needed you? I don't, the heart of David. He says, it says, that, I just love this. It says, David greeted them joyfully. He was just happy to see his men again. And he says, but some troublemakers among David. David had some troublemakers. They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder. Give them their wives and children and, and tell them to be gone. David says, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. When you fight for you, when, when you fight, the Lord fights for you. And at the end of the day, it's really, he, he's the one that's victorious. You're the one that's just following. But not, nothing, they were, it was nothing was missing from those things that God has promised them. Nothing was missing. And David's heart is this, he said, let's divide it among everybody. Listen, listen, you can be blessed by association. Just because you only went, he only went part way. I just love the message of the grace of God where we get things that we don't deserve. I love that. I think that they should have fought and fought well and fought hard. And, but, but you know what? You and I, we actually don't want that in our life. We don't want that to happen to us. We'd like to get stuff we didn't fight for. They were blessed by association. Not only that. At the end, you go down a little further. He made it a law. Verse 24, uh, he said, no, it's the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and he's helped us defeat the enemy. Who was David really pursuing? Was he pursuing the enemy or was he pursuing God? I did, I, you know, I just hate the focus that we place on the enemy in a big old battle. I want, if we had a revelation of the Lord, of the angel armies, what we'd be doing when we go into battle is we're getting a fresh revelation of how awesome God is for us. Not how pathetic the enemy is. Whatever, he tries to steal. But the Lord is wanting to restore everything that the enemy has taken from you, your family, from your parents, from your grandparents. And he wants to restore the fortunes to you and to your children and your children's children. All right. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm, I'm basically, I'm basically done. God says, sends us in, into battle to pursue him. When we find him, we find him when we pursue him and we get, his, we get the promise, we get confidence, we get inheritance. 
But you know, I'll tell you what I found. I found it when the enemy has stolen something and I go to the Lord, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know that he's given me, that he has given me the mandate and the permission to go. I get permission in the presence of God because there's a, there's a difference between permission and presumption. Presumption is just charging off without getting a word from God. We need to be students of the scriptures so we know what the Lord has provided for us so we know what to fight for. I just feel like I want to call every prodigal home. stand together I expect that everybody thanks for listening be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca see you next week <laughs>